Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Estate Red Zone, brought to you by the Texas Real Estate Research Center at Texas A&M University. I'm Haley Reeder, Communications Specialist. Today is Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. On this day in 1852, the Texas legislature confirmed the work of the Borland Commission, a group of three officials appointed to investigate land claims after the Mexican War. The war's outcome had brought into question the validity of numerous Spanish and Mexican land grants north of the Rio Grande. Against a complex backdrop that included agitation for making trans-Noises Texas a separate country, Governor Peter Bell recommended that the legislature appoint a commission to investigate claims. The commission began its business in Laredo in mid-1850, and in February 1852, confirmed 234 grants in five South Texas counties to the original Spanish and Mexican grantees. Now on to today's podcast. Despite the onset of a pandemic, 2020 was an absolutely phenomenal year for Texas housing market. Fourth quarter sales expanded after the third quarter boom, and year-end sales capped off at 9.4% over 2019, which was already a record year. The last time Texas housing was this strong was in the early 2010s when the market finally began recovering from the Great Recession. What's even more impressive is that year-end figures were blunted by the massive two-month decline incurred during the pandemic's lockdown period. However, despite strong demographics, low housing supply could hamper growth in 2021. Center senior data analyst Joshua Robertson explored this in his latest article, How Long Can It Last? Strong 2020 Housing Market Moves Into Uncertain 2021. He joins us today to share his insights. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. What contributed to the third quarter 2020 housing boom? Well, there's a number of things that that contributed to it. Uh, In some ways, it was, you know, the same things that contributed to um, kind of at least the latter half of the second quarter. Uh, We went uh, a full month, at least, without much housing activity, kind of right when things normally start to speed up. And so, it was a little bit of catch up, but you know, certainly low interest rates had its place, and I think um, that certainly signaled a kind of a now or never mindset. That if you're going to buy a home, I mean, mm-hmm. it's as low as it's going to get. Um, but I think also what maybe took people by surprise is um, maybe just the resiliency of you know. Uh, Kind of younger home buyers, uh, millennial home buyers, for the most part. In general, they've been buying homes, you know, kind of at an increasing clip. But it just kind of happened to fall that you know, this year, at least, it was one of the years where a lot of key milestones really kind of clicked together uh, for millennials. You know, such as um, you know, higher earnings. They've been in the workforce long enough to kind of. You know, they're starting to kind of rise in the ranks. They're starting to earn more. Uh, marriage rates are are increasing, family formation, children. And so a lot of practical demand driving and starting to really escalate, you know, for this uh, kind of for this age cohort. So that, that just happened to favorably, you know, align with the year 2020. And I think uh, most people can relate that. 
you know, if given the option to have more space right now, um, any any chance to to take it would would be would be uh, taken. Uh, and then also, I think just in general with housing, it's worth mentioning that um, there's a lot of you know people who eligible to buy homes. They, like I said, they they have the income, they have the savings, and then you know there's not for the most part in a lot of areas uh, there hasn't been a lot of places to spend money. And so, I mean, we hear this a lot. I mean, so there's definitely two sides of the equation. Um, kind of the last article, I talked some about the renters. And that that's a very real situation that we'll certainly continue to follow up on. But, you know, we also get a lot of stories of, you know, people receiving their stimulus checks and just throwing in savings or paying off debt or major, making major expenses. So... Uh, that's been a very real thing. I mean, there hasn't been a whole lot to spend, period. And so mm-hmm. if the prospects of staying in your home, not that I want to rock down anymore, but, you know, I don't really know if this is going to be the last time something like this happens. Or if they think that, you know, the whole remote work, I don't, I think right now the idea is that remote work isn't going to be a full-time phenomenon, but maybe like a hybrid model. Mm-hmm. I hear that a lot. Uh, so if that's going to be a thing, then people are going to need space to, to operate. So, um, so yeah, mortgage rates certainly have its place. I think mortgage rates certainly turbocharged the, the charge, uh, but just also just very practical needs for space, you know, and again, particularly for the millennial household. So did we see trends similar to those during the post great recession recovery in the mid 2010s? Yeah, the only thing I'd say that kind of relates, so there's some some aspects that are similar to the Great Recession, obviously kind of the tremendous fall in demand, uh, at least initially, you know, in this case is because of lockdowns. I mean, there's still activity, but, you know, there was certainly a period of people trying to regroup and figure out what was going on and Mm -hmm. had other things on their mind. After the Great Recession, I mean, things really heated up, but it, it came a lot slower. I mean, it came over years. And I don't know, you, you can do a lot of compare and contrast with, with the Great Recession, but it's it's not really apples to apples. Uh, the Great Recession, you know, it took several years just to kind of get to a recovery point, And that's because we had a financial crisis. So just getting financing, there was a big leap in obtaining a loan, you know, between like mid 2000s and you know 2010s the mortgage requirements were just night and day different mm-hmm. you know uh, a lot to just mitigate not having that situation again uh, for the most part I mean mortgage standards did get tighter a little bit you know after COVID but for the most part it wasn't a huge leap it wasn't as huge a leap as the Great Recession but um and then also, I mean, people were wondering, I mean, even before COVID, people were wondering if the Texas markets were overheated and if there was an asset bubble. And I would say that for the most part, there were bubble-like characteristics. I mean, again, we had low mortgage rates even before uh, COVID happened. They're even lower now. But I think most of the time when people talk about bubbles, they they kind of forget the fact that there's a supply side to the situation. So like when the Great Recession happened, there was, you know, what we call exuberant demand, a lot of demand, a lot of it propped up by easy credit. 
but then there was also exuberant supply following, just over overbuilding. Uh, but that wasn't the case here because we've been in an undersupply situation for almost a decade. And um, while the low mortgage rates, certainly, again, turbocharged demand in 2020, you know, the supply situation never really got back on its feet. Uh, we were just now starting to see supply levels kind of similar to like the early 2000s. But even then, the 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 wide variety of homes available to buy, you know, it's a much narrower, you know, product selection compared to then. Uh, and now, I mean, so, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot more construction activity, but it's nowhere near enough to, um, you know, make up for the increased demand. And then also you have with the mortgage rates, it's kind of a double-edged sword because, you know, for a lot of people over the past decade, it, you know, they, they remember how hard it was to kind of find their, their home and, you know, kind of the key neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, Austin, Dallas, you know, just wherever. Um, and they kind of like where they live. And so when the rates, I know I did this, you know, I like where I live and I just refinanced and kind of fortified my position. Mm-hmm. Um, you see a lot of that. And so I think that certainly has its place in explaining why we haven't seen the, uh, needed level of new listings just coming. Uh, there's not as much churn, you know, and kind of people moving from one house to the next. Uh, my grandmother, she lives in Richardson and mm-hmm. she would love to downsize and not have to deal with the yard anymore, but she can't really afford what the next step is. You right. know, it's cheaper for her to stay in place. And so I think that there's a lot of other people in that situation where instead of, you know, she has the house that she owned when she still had children uh, she doesn't need that space anymore, but she's not moving on to the next space. And, and that, that's been going on again for, for the whole decade for the most part. And, um, I mean, again, it just kind of got worse. So, so yeah, I mean, really it's just no comparison right. uh, between the two, but I think some people get kind of tempted to look at them side by side. And you touched on this earlier. How has the surge of younger buyers affected the market? Well, I think with, um, so the younger buyers, I, I think it, it's a demand that's more th- than just, uh, you know, uh, I, I mentioned like family formation, children, things like that. Those are very resilient demand drivers. And, you know, we're talking about the millennials that ended up buying homes. A lot of people are, are wondering how how many of these millennial, millennial households are, are left over um, or remaining. You know, mm-hmm. how, how deep is this well? And I think, I don't have an exact number, but I think in general, Texas is a good spot. You know, you look across the state, you know, a lot of people think of the big four. Uh, and certainly millennials like moving, they like kind of the urban, you know, denser areas, I'll say. But really, if you look at all across the state, whether it's, you know, Tyler, Texas or Lubbock or College Station, you know, all over the kind of millennial age cohort is is pretty strong compared to like the rest of the United States. So, and we've had pretty strong activity, at least with our um, MLS rental activity, a lot of similar trends in terms of price growth, um, you know, rental properties that are flying off the market a lot 
quicker than they were before. Mm-hmm. Not as much activity, and that might just be utilization of the MLS system in general. I mean, there's a lot of players in the single-family rental market. But um, I think, you know, again, the mortgage rates has its place, but the very practical needs to to expand, I think that's going to be a very resilient um, demand driver. The Texas Real Estate Research Center considers six months of inventory a balanced market. However, according to your article, most major Texas markets have been operating below that for the better part of a decade. How has the pandemic affected the current housing shortage, and how does this shortage affect the rest of the market? So I touched on this a a little bit. I mean, we have heightened demand, and we have just not enough properties coming to market. Uh, In the article, I create a map that kind of shows the whole state county to county and it's pretty extreme part of it's because it's year end and you know i don't think we're going to see another fourth quarter like this past year because normally you know that's you know with the holidays coming up you know Mm -hmm. you don't see as much activity in general compared to the summer months we're very much summer seasonal but things were still kicking in the gear at that time. So you get some really lopsided uh, figures. And, you know, you see that in, in that map. You still have a lot of purchases being made, a lot of contracts being made. Uh, but at the same time, we, we have the listing shortage. So um, hopefully that won't be the case this next year. I mean, we still want activity, but um, I think I think this will be kind of a, a one-time phenomena. Hopefully mm-hmm. this year will kind of kind of get back to normal. Things won't be so, you know, top-sided heavy. Um, be a little bit more even out in terms of activity over the course of the year. How long can this housing boom last? It's a great question. <laughs> uh, there's, there's just so many different factors. You know, when we get that question, part of it is, when we normally look at trying to predict how long these these like when cycles happen, we can look at traditional economic indicators, jobs. We can look at uh, again demographics. Um, there's a number of leading indicators we can typically follow, but you know the reality is right now is that the the virus is still very much you know kind of uh, king in terms of dictating tempo. So it's really going to depend a lot on uh, just how that plays out with, you know, vaccine rollout with, um, you know, just mitigating it, I guess, in general. Mm-hmm. And so, cause I think that will drive, you know, people's confidence because while people are buying houses and for the most part, homeowner households are, are still moving about, um, renter households in general are not, mm-hmm. you know, the census bureau just released their migration data and the overall, migration movement from state to state or just different counties in general is down, but that's because a lot of it is driven by renters. There's just more numbers, but house homeowners in general have been moving. There's still a lot of lack of confidence. I mean, even though people are buying homes in other areas, people aren't making major purchases. So I would say, um, you know, that that's, that's going to be one, one key part, but, you know, I'm not going to put an exact date to it. That might be disappointing to some. But um, again, one thing that 
you look at the early 2010s, Texas was in a very favorable position, you know, in terms of job creation and in terms of just opportunity. Uh, we saw a lot of households move to the area and some of those still exist. Um, of course, you know, some sectors are kind of question mark, um, you know, oil right now. We're not sure how that's going to turn out. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you have entire industries, retail, restaurants, you know, anything kind of face to face. But I think in general, comparatively, Texas is still a very, you know, business friendly environment. I think that that will certainly help out. I don't know if it's going to mean the same magnitude as as before, but, you know, compared to other uh, not just states, but really other countries too. Right. Um, Texas was in a good position because, you know, other places were in a mess. I mean, you also had a lot of the European debt crisis going on. So a lot of money investment was coming to the states. And, of course, a lot of that came to Texas as well. Um, but I think we have about as good a shot as, you know, anyone else in terms of sustaining this this housing drive. You know, partly because of the demographics, we do have favorable numbers of key demographics and we typically do well with uh you know the economy and and creating Mm -hmm. jobs so i don't have an exact time frame but i think uh i think there's still room for some growth well thanks again for coming on thanks for having me thanks again josh you can read how long can it last strong 2020 housing market moves into uncertain 2021 on our website We post a link to it on our podcast webpage and in the YouTube description box. We also included a link to Josh's latest articles. If you're looking for more economic projections, check out the Center's 2021 Texas Housing and Economic Outlook. We included a link to the report on our podcast webpage. And while you're there, browse through our research library. It includes a wide variety of economic reports and real estate articles. Our latest topics include a truck addendum for fixture leases, the Texas border economy, COVID-19 economic projections, payment protection for tradesmen, Texas commercial real estate, and more. We post a link to the research library on our podcast webpage. You'll find articles like those and more in the winter 2021 issue of TG Magazine, which is online now. If you'd like to get notified when the digital version of the next issue of TG is posted on our website, sign up for email notifications. The link is on our podcast webpage and in the YouTube description box. That's going to be it for today's podcast. If you're looking for more from the Texas Real Estate Research Center, head to our website. That's www.recenter.tamu.edu. There, you'll find the latest data, research articles, blogs, news, and more. You can also check out the Center's News Talk Texas database, which is updated daily with the biggest headlines in Texas real estate. You can also subscribe to Recon, our bi-weekly newsletter, to get all the biggest stories sent straight to your inbox. To stay up to date on when articles are published on our website, Follow the Texas Real Estate Research Center on social media. You can find us with the handle at RECenterTX on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. For more podcasts like these, you can subscribe on iTunes or to our YouTube channel. All podcasts are also available for free on our website. 
Thanks for joining us today in the Real Estate Red Zone, brought to you by the Texas Real Estate Research Center in College Station, Texas, where we've been helping Texans make the best real estate decisions since 1971. This is Haley Reeder, and I'll see you next time. Bye!